You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. And uh, here's where we're at. We are going through the Bible verse by verse. And we are in a series titled The Eleventh Hour. A section of scripture that generally is not taught on Sunday mornings. Uh, It's kind of risky actually. Uh, We're covering some deep stuff today. Have been for the last several weeks. Uh, But we're going through the Bible verse by verse. And when you do that, uh, well, you get get to eat what is ever on your plate, right? And and here's what we have before us today. The title of the message is Living for the Rapture. Uh, living ready for the rapture. And uh, Jesus is going to be teaching us about the rapture today. Uh, So far, Jesus has been teaching us about the tribulation period. The tribulation period is the darkest time, the darkest period of history that the planet Earth has ever seen or will ever see again. The tribulation is a seven-year period where God's wrath is poured out on a world that is in rebellion to Jesus Christ. In a world that is rejecting his love and his offer for salvation. And saying, ah, we don't need any of that. We'll do it on our own. And God's wrath is poured out. The tipping point of God's wrath is something that Jesus... uh, called or, 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 or coined, if you will. He called it the abomination of desolation. And uh, that's a mouthful for sure, but what it means is, is there's an abomination coming. An abomination is something that is deplorable to God. Something that is just sacrilegious. Something that is totally against God. There's an abomination coming, and it's going to bring desolation on the earth. Desolation total, utter destruction. The abomination of desolation. What is it? Well, we looked at it in the previous weeks. It's uh, an individual. He's called the Antichrist. The name sounds scary. It sounds like Freddy Krueger. It sounds evil, and it is, but uh, it's not Freddy Krueger. It's actually a very attractive a very winsome individual who comes onto the scene. Imagine Brad Pitt coming onto the scene and nobody would think he was evil, right? They'd go, wow, he's amazing. Well, there's a, there's a man coming onto the scene. He'll be a world leader and he'll be such an orator. He'll be so prolific with his words. He'll be so uh, advanced in his thinking. He's going to bring uh, uh, just the whole world under his sway. And he comes onto the scene, and we looked at this in detail in the previous weeks. Uh, He comes onto the scene, and in the middle of the tribulation period, a seven-year period, he sets up the abomination that causes desolation. He sets up an image of himself, and he proclaims to be God. And there's all kinds of miracles and signs and lightning being called out from heaven and uh, signs and miracles that dazzle everybody. People love miracles, right? And when they see this guy performing miracles and his his religious leader performing miracles, they're all going to go, 
wow, he really is God and the world is going to worship him. He issues a mark that we looked at last week. Uh, it's called the mark of the beast. It's in the right hand, uh, in, in the forehead, and nobody can buy or sell without that. And anybody who doesn't take that mark is killed. And those who won't take it are the Jews. At that point, the Jewish nation realizes they've been duped. They embrace him at first, but they realize they've been duped, and he turns his wrath against them. So uh, uh, it's... Uh, it's a very, very dark time in, in human history. Uh, the Bible says that God is slow to wrath, that he's incredibly long-suffering, that he's patient, and he is. But his wrath does come. The Bible says God is slow to wrath, but he is not slack. He doesn't just wink at sin. And all sin will be punished. It'll either be punished on Jesus himself on the cross, or we will bear the full weight of the punishment ourselves, And that's what the tribulation period is. Uh, God pours out his wrath on all those who are not in Christ. The Bible tells us there's the, the seven seal, uh, excuse me, the seven uh, seal judgments of God's wrath. And then there are the seven trumpet judgments of God's wrath. And then there are the seven bowl judgments of God's wrath. Uh, three waves of seven judgments, 21 judgments in all that are poured out on the planet earth during that tribulation period. And then at the end of it, uh, Jesus comes in power. Uh, but the wrath that is poured out is severe. There are, the Bible says there are radical earthquakes, tremendous geographical changes happening on planet earth during that time. Uh, uh, how many of you have ever heard of global, warning, uh, global warming? Uh, yeah, well, uh, the book of Revelation says a little bit uh, about that. It doesn't call it global warming, though. It calls it global scorching. Uh, the sun is going to get so hot that it actually begins to scorch people to death. Uh, a third of the ocean and the marine life completely dies. A third of the fresh water supply uh, is poisoned and polluted and uh, a third of the forest and all vegetation and all grass on the earth wiped out. A third of mankind completely wiped out. A terribly daunting period of history. Uh, and as I mentioned, at the same time that uh, all that wrath is being poured out, the Antichrist is pouring his wrath out on the Jews and a genocide that is going on. And uh, Jesus told us last week, uh, we can pick it up there again. Jesus said, take a look at this, uh, verse 22. He said, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And the elect's sake there is a reference to Israel. For Israel's sake, those days will be shortened. Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. How could that be? Oh, it speaks of nuclear war. It speaks of something uh, so catastrophic that every single person on earth would die if Jesus did not come back and intervene. And that's an amazing prophecy to consider because that was written 2,000 years ago. Uh, dynamite hadn't even been invented, much less nuclear bombs, right? And uh, think about that, that, that prophecy, just incredible. And uh, nevertheless, Jesus says, for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And Jesus is going to come in radiant glory. He's going to put an end to all of it. 
he's going to stop the, the weapons and everything else, the battle of Armageddon that's going on. He's going to stop it, maybe the nuclear weapons even in the air, and he stops it, and he's going to uh, come in all of his glory and uh, bring peace on the earth, bring judgment and peace on the earth. So uh, we looked at all that in the previous weeks. And uh, the Bible says that when Jesus comes, every eye will see, every tongue will confess. And uh, Jesus finished up this section. Look at verse 35 of chapter 24. Jesus finished up that section, and you would think he would have stopped here. He said, uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Uh, heaven and earth, heaven means sky there. That means the, the atmosphere. The atmosphere and the earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. This is going to happen for sure. And you would think that Jesus would just stop there and say, okay, now, you know, the disciples had asked, hey, what's the, end of, what's the sign of the end of your age and when you come and when you set up your kingdom? And you would think Jesus would stop right there, but he doesn't. He goes on and he does something very interesting. Uh, he then uh, goes to tell us a, a new teaching. Uh, he tells us that there's going to be a rapture of the church. He tells us that he's going to uh, do something that uh, really was unheard of, unknown in the Old Testament. Uh, he's going to teach us about his rapturing the church. And I know as I bring up that word, there are those who say, well, the rapture of the church, I mean, come on, why are we talking about that? Uh, that's such a controversial subject, and it's so far-fetched. I don't even know if I believe in that. Hey, fair enough, fair enough. But I want you to know something. The Bible definitely teaches that Jesus will rapture his church. And the Bible definitely teaches that the rapture will happen before Jesus returns. It is indisputable. It is clearly taught in Scripture. And it's important that we understand the things that the Bible teaches. And this is one of the benefits of going through the Bible verse by verse. We're going to be, we just have to deal with these things. Uh, before we go into the rest of the text here in Matthew, I want to show you a verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that talks about the rapture. Uh, let me hear you read this together. One thundering voice, one unified church body. Uh, let me hear you read this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Uh, some great things to consider here. Uh, the first one that I want to draw your attention to is the word himself. It says the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Uh, I love that it is Jesus himself coming for us. He could have sent uh, just an angel. He could have just spoken a word. But it is he himself coming for his church. It is a bridegroom coming for his bride. And it is his love, it is his passion, it is his zeal to do this. And uh, there are a lot of people who say, you know, I don't know about it. Even the word rapture is not in the church. Excuse me, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, it is. It just depends on which Bible you're reading. The word rapture comes from the Latin phrase rapturos, and it's in the Latin Vulgate. 
And the English word is the words that are underlined here, shall be caught up. The word means, uh, in its original language, it means to be snatched away or to be taken by force. It's not a, uh, a kind, little, gentle grabbing of the hand. No, it's like, you, like if your kids were about to run into the street and you went and grabbed them, you could say you raptured your kids from death, right? Uh, it's, it's a violent taking away. And that is the word that is used. And it is clearly taught in the Bible. And all through Scripture, the Bible teaches that the rapture happens before Jesus comes in glory. And uh, super important that we hold on to that. Um, another verse for you that just shows the rapture, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, let me hear you read this. As we have borne the image of the man of dust... We shall also bear the image of the man of, he of the heavenly man. Let's stop there a second. Who's he talking about? Who is the image of the man of dust? Who is that? Adam. Just as we are born in Adam's image, uh, we had a family get together. Uh, my son Ryan and his wife Lauren, uh, she's eight and a half months pregnant. We had a baby shower in the backyard and all my kids were there. Uh, and I was looking, even today, looking at my boys on stage and I'm just like, they, they bear my image. They look like a me. You know, Lisa and I were looking at them last night just going like, can you believe this came out of us? I mean, all this stuff, you know? They look like us. And here's what he's saying. As we have borne the image of Adam, we will also bear the image of the heavenly man. Who's the heavenly man? Jesus. What he means is right now we have a sin nature that we inherited from Adam. But we are going to receive a glorified body that is sinless. And it's going to be in the image of Jesus' glorified body. Oh, how amazing. Let's go on. Let's read what it says. Verse 50. No, back. Verse 50. Uh, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Why not? Because it's sinful. This sinful flesh can't be taken up to heaven. Because there's nothing sinful in heaven. Right? Uh, so it cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Because corruption will not inherit incorruption. Let's go on. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. Here this word that Paul uses, a mystery, the reason it's a mystery is because it wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. It was something that was new in the New Testament that came from Jesus, came from the apostles. And uh, he says, we're not all going to sleep, but we're all going to be changed. We're all going to be transformed uh, in a moment, just like that. At the last trumpet, let's read the rest of the verse. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortality must put on immortality. Uh, very interesting insights about what the rapture is. The rapture is when we get our glorified bodies. Uh, 
We are going to be transformed. We're going to have a brand new body. And it's going to be perfect and it's going to be made in the image of Jesus' resurrected body. And it's going to happen in a moment. Look what it says. The dead in Christ will raise first. And then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together. And we, we're going to be changed. Uh, radical. Um, here's a question for you. Why? Why? Why do, we, why do we get our resurrected bodies then? That's kind of weird, right? Uh, right now, when you die, what happens? Where do you go when you die? Someone say worms. <laughs> the Bible clearly teaches, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Uh, uh, when we die, we, if you are in Christ, you instantly go to be with the Lord. That was the beauty of the cross. That didn't happen before the cross, but after the cross, that's what happens. The moment you die, you instantly go to the cross. So here's the curious thing. At the rapture, we're gonna get, the dead in Christ will rise first. The dead in Christ will get their resurrected bodies. And then we who are alive and remain, we're going to be transformed. We're going to get our resurrected body. Why? You think of all the saints that have died. They're in heaven right now. What are they doing in heaven? Well, they're in fellowship with God. They're doing whatever they, they're doing in heaven. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, he's there in heaven. The Apostle John, he's there. And now at the rapture, he's going to get a resurrected body. Why? Paul's been in heaven for 2,000 years. Now at the rapture, he's going to get a resurrected body. Why? You're going to get a resurrected body. Why? But, uh, but, but you, you could be in heaven without a resurrected body. Uh, Paul's in heaven without a resur resurrected body right now. Why is Paul going to get a resurrected body? Why are we going to... Why? Well, let's think about it. Jesus is going to, after the rapture, Jesus is going to come back to rule and to reign on the planet earth. It's called the millennial reign. It's what the disciples were waiting for when Jesus was, was on earth. Jesus, are you now going to set up your kingdom? And they kept asking because God had promised over and over and over tons of prophecies about this millennial reign when the Messiah will reign on the earth bodily, physically, over all the nations of the earth. And it's a, it's a, a kingdom they were waiting for. And so uh, let's think about this. When Jesus comes, the Bible tells us that he brings all his saints with him and that we will rule and reign with Christ. Who will we rule and reign over? We're exactly. We're going we're gonna to reign over those who survived the tribulation, over the mortals on the earth, and during the, the millennial kingdom, they will repopulate. They will, uh, th there's going to be no more death during the millennial kingdom. People will live a thousand years. You can have a lot of kids in a thousand years, <laughs> right? Uh, and uh, uh, you are going to be ruling and reigning with Christ during that thousand-year reign. Jesus is the only one so far who has received a resurrected body. And let me ask you, who did, why did Jesus receive a resurrected body? Who was that for? Was that for Jesus? No, who was it for? 
It was for the mortals on the earth so they could see that he actually resurrected. Aren't you glad it wasn't just a spiritual resurrection? That we just had to believe somehow? No, no, no. It was a physical resurrection. And millions of people laid down their lives because they were eyewitnesses of what they saw. Uh, it was a physical resurrection. And Jesus got a resurrected body so that mortals, humans, could see that he did indeed resurrect from the grave. You're going to get a resurrected body so that you can rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years over mortals on the earth. And uh, maybe we can talk about that more in, a, in another talk. For right now, we gotta, I have to move us on. But it's going to be amazing. At the rapture, Jesus will come again to gather his church up, to, up into heaven. And then uh, 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 we're going to get our glorified bodies. And then at the end of the tribulation period, we're gonna, uh, Jesus is going to come back in the fullness of glory with all of the saints, and we're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And so amazing, amazing prophecies that are there for us in the Bible, and a great, great future that we have in Jesus Christ. You have tremendous purpose, and uh, don't let anything take that away from you. So the question on the table is not if there is a rapture or not. The Bible clearly teaches there is. And by the way, all Orthodox uh, Christians, all Orthodox faiths believe in a rapture and believe that the rapture of the church happens before Jesus comes in glory. Uh, that part is undisputable. But there are different views about how long that happens before uh, the tribulation period. Uh, there are those who say, uh, who believe in a pre-tribulation, uh, which means that the rapture will happen before the tribulation period. There's those who hold a mid-trib or a mid-tribulation, which means the rapture will happen in the middle of the tribulation period. And there's those who hold a post-tribulation rapture, which simply means the rapture will happen at the end of the tribulation period. And uh, we're going to learn what Jesus has to say about that. Uh, Jesus has something to say about the rapture. And let's see if uh, those points of when it happens. Let me just tell you, uh, Jesus is going to teach a pre-tribulation rapture. And uh, we'll see if these points become clearer as, as we go through. So Matthew 24, verse 36. Are you there? Yes. He could have stopped that heaven and earth passed away, but my words will never pass away. He didn't. He says, now I want to tell you something else. He says, of that day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. What day? I want you to circle the word that day. What day is he talking about, right? We'll come back to that. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Oh, we're getting some hints here of what that day he's talking about. For as in the days before the flood, before the flood, yes, God's wrath was poured out on the world in the flood. Do you know that you and I, we have never experienced God's wrath? If we did, guess what we would be? Toast, right? We'd be toast. Uh, we have never seen God's wrath. The world has only seen God's wrath poured out in, in its entirety one time, and that was the flood. 
And here Jesus says, just as the days before the flood, underline the words before, before the flood, here's what they were doing. Before God's wrath was poured out, they were eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage until the day came that Noah entered into the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the, the coming of the Son of Man be. Very interesting. Then two will be in the field. They'll be out working in the field. One will be taken up and the other will be left to the great tribulation. Two women will be grinding in the mill. One will be taken and the other will be left to the great tribulation. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming to rapture his church. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. Some interesting things that we see here, and I want to draw us back to that first part that we read that day. Jesus says in verse 36, no one knows that day. What day is that? What day is he talking about? Well, he can't be talking about the day that he returns in glory because Jesus just told us exactly when that day would be. He told us that in verse 29 last week when we read. Flip over to verse 29 and look what he says. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall, fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And all the tribes of the earth, every nation, every language, every tongue, every person, all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory coming as God. Jesus just told us when he's coming in glory. When is he coming in glory? Immediately after the tribulation. Immediately after the tribulation, he's coming in glory. Repeatedly, the Bible tells us the exact dates of all the major events in the tribulation period. We know the Antichrist will set up the abomination that causes desolation exactly three and a half years into the tribulation. It tells it to us by years, three and a half years. It also tells it to us by days. It'll be 1,260 days. And the Antichrist will set up the abomination that causes desolation. We also know that after he sets up the abomination of desolation, it will be exactly, it tells us in days, It'll be 340 days. Excuse me, 1,260 days. It tells us in weeks, excuse me, in months. I'm glad I'm making this clear. Uh, uh, in days, 1,260 days. It tells us in months, it'll be exactly 42 months. And it tells us in years, it'll be exactly 
three and a half years. And it tells us these details in incredible uh, precision of these dates so that we don't allegorize it to mean just an undetermined amount of time. It tells us in days, weeks, and months, and years so that we pay attention. And we know exactly when Jesus is coming back in glory. He's coming back exactly 1,260 days after the abomination of desolation is set up. The Antichrist sets up that image. So, what then does that day mean here in verse 36? What day is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the day when he returns for his church. You see, the second coming of Christ is multifaceted, just as his first coming was. The second coming of Christ, it starts with the, when he comes for his church and he takes his church and brings them up into heaven to be with him in heaven. And it culminates when he comes in full glory and pours out his, just comes and brings a, in radiant glory and we come with him and comes to the earth. And then it continues when he comes down to the earth, he sets his foot on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives falls and bows to the ground. Oh, the, the earth shakes, tremendous geographical changes. And uh, he sets up and he judges the nations. All the nations of the earth he judges. And then he sets up his millennial kingdom. All of that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's multifaceted. Just as his first coming was. By the way, when was his first coming? Was it when he was born? Was that his first coming? Or was it when he was baptized and the voice boomed from heaven? God spoke, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Or was it when he performed his first miracle of turning the water into wine? Was that the first coming? Or was it when he went to the cross and died on the cross? When was his first coming? Or was it when he rose from the grave? Was, when was his first coming? All of those things were his first coming. It's multifaceted. And his second coming, he's coming first for his church, and then the tribulation period gets poured out. And so the date that no one knows are the date when Jesus comes to rapture his church, and the date that the tribulation period begins, they are both the same date. Jesus will rapture his church, and then his wrath begins to be poured out on the earth, and the tribulation period begins. Uh... Awesome to see. Awesome to see. Uh, and so, uh, it, it, uh, when will that happen? Jesus says, well, no one knows when that happens. We don't know when Jesus is going to rapture his church. Now, we don't know when the tribulation is going to begin. But he does give us a big hint. Did you catch it as we read? He said, uh, look at it again, verse 37. But as, uh, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah, read these words, before the flood or before God's judgment was poured out. Or the parallel would be, as in the days of Noah, it'll be before the tribulation comes. Right? Here's what's going to be happening. People are going to be eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage 
until the day that Noah went into the ark, and they did not know until the flood came and took them away, so also it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus says, when, when I bring my judgment on the earth, it's going to be just like the days of Noah. How so? Well, two ways. Number one, people were totally oblivious to the impending judgment of God. They just, didn't, they just weren't paying attention. They were totally oblivious that judgment was coming. Secondly, God provided a vehicle of escape before he poured out his wrath on the earth. And that vehicle was the ark. And Jesus said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so is it going to be when I come back to, and, and, and rapture my church and bring my wrath on the earth and, and before my second coming. It's going to be the same way. By the way, the days of Noah, who was Noah? What was his occupation? What was he? Anybody? He was a preacher. He was a preacher of righteousness. And God tells a preacher to build an ark. Why? Because I'm going to bring my judgment on the earth. The earth had grown so corrupt, so wicked, that God brought judgment upon the earth. And he told Noah, Noah, I want you to preach a message that I'm bringing my judgment on the earth, but anyone can be saved. All they have to do is believe and come into this ark. And it's interesting, up until that point, it had never rained on the earth. There was a canopy that covered the earth, and there was a, a solar protection that we don't have now. And you'll notice the lifespans of people before the ark were very long, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, they were probably protected from all the UV rays that age us so quickly now. Uh, but... Uh, it had never rained. God says, I'm going to bring rain. And Moses was a preacher of righteousness. Uh, his message was being preached for 120 years as he was building that ship. That ship was a sermon. That ark was a sermon. And Moses was preaching. And for 120 years, Noah preached about God's coming judgment. And you know what they did when Noah preached about God's coming judgment? What did they do? They mocked him and they laughed. What do they do when we talk about the rapture? They mock us and they laugh. Uh, they laughed. Rain? Huh, never heard of it. A flood? Huh, what is that? Never heard of it. Build an ark out here in the middle of nothing? There's no ocean around. What are you, an idiot? Uh, Noah just kept on preaching, kept on building. And they laughed and they mocked and they, they, you know, they, they ridiculed him until God told Noah and whoever would believe to get into the ark. And the Bible says something very interesting. When Noah and his family entered into the ark, do you know what the Bible says happened? God shut the door. And the rains came. And the Bible says not only was it the rain that flooded the earth, but the fountains of the deep, the oceans opened up and flooded the earth. And nobody was laughing anymore. And those that were laughing, uh, those who were partying and giving in marriage and hooking up and going to bars and going to Vegas, they weren't doing that anymore. Now they were clawing and knocking on the side of the ark, but it was too late. The flood, the, the flood waters of God's wrath and judgment rose and rose and rose until they all drowned under God's wrath. 
the vehicle of God's deliverance was closed. And Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when I come again. Uh, people were oblivious to the impending judgment of God. God provided a vehicle of escape before the wrath came, and he will do so again before the tribulation period. The vehicle of escape is the rapture of the church, and people mock it today, but whoever believes can be saved. All you have to do is say, I believe, Jesus, and I need you to cleanse me of my sin, and that alone will save you from the wrath that is to come. You'll be in the proverbial ark, if you will, and the flood of wrath will not overtake you. Um, if you miss it, it will be too late. Uh, notice what Jesus said here, verse 40, one more time. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken up, the other will be left to great tribulation. Two women will be uh, grinding in the mill. They'll be at work. One will be taken, one will be left. Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour the Lord is coming to rapture his church. Now, I realize this is a controversial passage and there are some good scholars who teach that Jesus is not teaching about the rapture here. And they actually teach that this isn't a teaching on the rapture, this is a teaching on the tribulation. Uh, I have respect for them, uh, I just don't see it that way. Uh, they teach, just so you know what they teach, they teach in verse 40, uh, two men will be in the field, one will be taken in judgment and the other and left. Two men will be grinding uh, at, the, at the, one will be taken, one will be uh, taken in judgment and the other will be left. Um, uh, they say that uh, verse uh, 38, it's speaking of the tribulation period, uh, that they're eating and drinking and marrying and giving a marriage. Uh, uh, to me, that seems incredibly strange that you could come up with that. It makes no sense to me. You see, the Bible says, uh, if, that's, if they believe that that happens during the tribulation period, uh, it makes no sense to me because the Bible tells us something very interesting about the tribul tribulation period. I've already told you, it's the darkest period of human history. There's going to be all kinds of hell breaking out on planet Earth, right? Uh, it's going to be horrible. Uh, there's plagues and judgments and horrors. And people are not going to be partying and getting married and working in the field. It's not going to be businesses as usual. People aren't going to be going, you know, traveling around, just hanging out, going to the park, getting, getting married. No, 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 not going to happen. Let me ask you this. When the flood came with Noah, was anybody out going to the park? Was anybody out getting married? Was anybody going to work? No, they were trying to fight for their life. And the Bible says the exact same thing about the tribulation period. Look what it says in Revelation chapter 6. Uh, let me hear you read this with me. Uh, I looked when he opened the sixth seal. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Let's pause here a second. Uh, John is saying, I looked when he, the he is Jesus, the sixth seal, 
is one of the seven sealed judgments. It's only one of 21 judgments that are poured out. This is just one we're looking at. And look what happens. I mean, the moon becomes like blood, stars falling to the earth, meteors crashing on the earth. Uh, keep going. The rest of the verse. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. You ever seen a nuclear bomb? Does that look like a scroll receding in the sky? Uh, I don't know if that's what it's referring to or not, but could be. And every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, Jeff Bezos, uh, on and on, uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, on, you know, on and on, right? Every slave, every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For great is the day of his wrath. Excuse me, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Yeah, I don't think they're out giving in marriage, hanging out, going to the park, going to the work during the tribulation period. And so for those who teach that this isn't a picture of the rapture, this is a picture of what happens in the tribulation, it does not fit. It's not life on earth uh, during the tribulation period. It's just not. And uh, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a wrong teaching. Uh, in verse 38, Jesus is speaking of the time just prior to the rapture. Look what he says. For as in the days before the flood, or as in the days before the rapture, they'll be eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. That's before the rapture. Verse 39. And they did not know until the flood came, or until the rapture came, and took them away. Uh, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Uh, what's, what's he saying? He's saying, hey, look, there is going to be radical judgment that's going to come, but there's deliverance before that, that judgment comes, and you don't have to go through that judgment. Jesus is speaking of the time prior to the tribulation. And uh, people will be partying and, you know, getting married and all those things. And the rapture will come unexpectedly. And it will be too late. And let me just say it clearly. Jesus taught a pre-tribulation rapture. He clearly taught it. Uh, furthermore, in addition to that, the Apostle Paul used the exact same language of Jesus, the same language Jesus used to describe the rapture, uh, Paul described the rapture. Look at this. Let's compare these verses. Look at verse 43 uh, on your Bible, Matthew 24:43. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour, what? The thief would come. He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Uh, who is the thief in this, in this uh, imagery? Who is the thief? It's not Satan. It's Jesus. If the master of the house would have known what hour the thief would come, he would not allow his house to be broken into. He says, therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. Okay? So, uh, just like if you knew a thief was coming tonight, what would you do? 
You'd be locked and loaded, right? You'd have the lights on. You might invite your uh, big cousin Bruno over to be there with you. You'd be ready protecting your house. And Jesus says, hey, if you knew when, that I was coming, you would, have your, you would have your house in order. You'd be living right. But I want you to pay attention to something clearly. If this was talking about the second coming of Jesus, then it doesn't fit. It doesn't make any sense. Look what he says. He says, um, uh, what verse is it? It's verse, verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. He's coming as a thief in the night. Well, that doesn't make any sense. If he's coming at a thief of the, in the night, uh, we know it's not Jesus' second coming. Because Jesus' second coming isn't in disguise. It isn't secret. It isn't where no one sees. He's already told us. What is his second coming? Every eye will see. He said, as lightning shines from the east to the west, so will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, take a look back over in verse... Um, uh, verse 27, for as lightning comes from the east to the west and flashes to the west, in other words, as it lights up the whole sky, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, so he's not talking about himself, no one knows the day or the hour right here uh, of his coming. He's not talking about him when he comes in glory, he's talking about when he comes to rapture the church. Does that make sense? Are you tracking that? And so here, once again, Jesus clearly speaking of a pre-tribulation rapture. And again, furthermore, uh, he says, I'm going to come like a thief. I'm gonna, no one's going to see me. You're not going to know when I'm coming. I'm just going to come, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to come for my church, and I'm going to take him. That's not the second coming when he comes in glory. And Paul uses the exact same language. Look at how Paul talks about it. Uh, we already read this passage, but let's read it again. Uh, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's where we stopped last time. That's the rapture. Now let's look at verse 18. Therefore, Comfort one another with these words. Aren't you glad? You're not going to have to go through the wrath of God. I'm comforted by that. And now look what he says. Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes what? Like a thief in the night. And Paul uses the same language that Jesus used. And he's teaching them the same things that Jesus taught them. And that's what he had already been teaching the church in Thessalonians. He says, you already know this. I've already taught you this. The Lord comes as a thief in the night. Not referring to a second coming when he comes in glory and every eye will see. No, that's when he's coming from, for the church, right? As a thief in the night. Let's go on. For when they say peace and safety, that's what we looked at two weeks ago, uh, what the Antichrist is going to say. He's going to make a peace treaty. Then sudden destruction comes upon them. As labor pains, he uses the same words Jesus used, the birth pains come upon a pregnant woman. They uh, get more frequent and more intense. They shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness 
so that this day, capital D, the day Jesus comes back for his church, should overtake you as what? A thief. He uses that same language. The day when Jesus comes won't overtake you as a thief. Let's go on. You are sons of the light and sons of the day. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, pretty amazing. Jesus is coming soon to rapture his church. And oh, I long for the day. Could be today, guys. Wouldn't it be cool if it was on Father's Day? You think you got a barbecue tonight, but you don't. You're going to be raptured. You're going to say, Heavenly Father, Happy Father's Day, right? Uh, that'd be amazing. Uh, Jesus is going to rapture his church, and I long for the day. He's coming as a thief in the night. We don't know when that day is, but he's coming. And then the tribulation period will start when he, God pours out his judgment on a world that has rejected him. Uh, one more common ad objection to those who uh, don't like the pre-tribulation position. They say, well, God has never delivered his saints from, from tribulation before right? God has never delivered his saints from persecution before. Uh, is that true? No. That is true. That is totally true. <laughs> it is 100% true. God did not deliver his people from persecution. As a matter of fact, in the first three centuries of Christianity, five million Christians were martyred for their faith. In the, by the year 300, five million Christians were martyred for their faith. And those who are against a pre-tribulation rapture, they say, God didn't deliver them from persecution. Why do you think God would deliver you? Uh, God didn't deliver Israel from persecution. Why would he deliver? Well, here's the question that I have for you. Whose persecution was it that martyred all those Christians? Whose wrath was it? It was Satan's wrath as he was trying to stop Christianity before it even started. It is a miracle that the church ever even was born. It's a miracle that you're here today. And it's been well said that foundation of the church is built on the martyr's blood. Uh, there were men and women who would not recant because they saw the resurrected Christ and they said, die or you're going to die. Or you, you, I mean, excuse me, uh, deny Jesus or you're going you're gonna to be killed. You're going to be murdered. And they said, I, can't, I will never deny him. And they gave up their lives. Amazing that the church is even here. But my point is, that was not God's wrath. That was Satan's wrath being poured out, trying to stop the church. And God allowed it for his glory. But God will never pour out his wrath on his own children. He never has. And the tribulation period is God's wrath being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. God will never pour out his wrath on his own children. Who could enter the ark of Noah? Who could? Anyone who would just believe. And by faith you believe and you become a child of God. And if you just believe, you can be saved. And God will never pour out his wrath on his own children. Another example, there's only two examples that I know of in scripture where God's wrath was poured out. One was the flood of Noah. Can you think of what the other one was? 
Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, God appears to Abraham, says, Abraham, I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. They're incredibly wicked. I'm going to bring judgment upon them. What does Noah, excuse me, what does Abraham say? God, excuse me, I, don't, I hate to, may I? Yeah, God says, go ahead. If there were 50 people, 50 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you spare judgment on it? And God said, yeah, absolutely. And then Abraham thought, well, I don't mean to be so bold. How about 40? I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. How about 40? And God says, yeah, I won't judge it for 40. And then Abraham thinks, what does he think? I don't know if there's 40. <laughs> Have you been to San Francisco? <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. There'll be five emails for that one tomorrow. Uh, Abraham goes, okay, not 40. How about 30? Not, not 30. How about 20? Uh, if I can really be so bold, how about 10? And Abraham stops at 10. And, he says, if there's, and God says, if there's 10 righteous, I won't bring judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham was so, you know, he went all the way down to 10. Do you know how far God would go? God went all the way down to 1. God sent an angel to bring destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah. And he goes and he appears to Lot. And this angel says, Lot, you've got to get out of here. Judgment is coming upon this. And guess what Lot does? Well, hang on. Let me check the internet. Let me check my email. Let me check my stocks. Let me do this. Let me do... And the angel says, dude, you've got to get out of here. And Lot's wife was dallying and they're not in a hurry. And the angel finally says these words. He says, you have to get out of here. Judgment is coming, and I can't bring any of it until you are out. And may I present to you, Lot was not even that righteous. <laughs> the very next thing he does after God delivers him is have incest with his daughters, uh, thinking that they were the only people left on earth. They thought judgment was on the whole world. And, and uh, anyway, another story. But my point is God will never pour out his wrath on his own people. And he will not do it in the tribulation period. And those who say glibly, well, I don't know why you think God you know, didn't spare the... Yeah, well, that wasn't God's wrath. That was the enemy's wrath. And God won't pour his wrath out on his own people. Um... Those who are on Jesus Christ will never be under condemnation of God. That is a promise in Scripture. Romans 8, we all know it, right? There is therefore what? Now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus. God will not pour his wrath out on his own people. Uh, however, those who are not in Jesus Christ, the Bible clearly tells that the wrath of God is already abiding on them. It's just waiting to be unleashed. And we can only escape the wrath of God through Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to bring to you, present one other thing that God does in the rapture. Not only does he deliver uh, the righteous so that they're not judged with the wicked, but God does something else. God is going to bring an end to the church age. The Gentile church age will end and the spiritual restoration of Israel will begin. Uh, very just awesome to consider God's total plan for the earth. 
God still has a plan for the nation Israel. He's going to redeem them. And the Bible is crystal clear about this. Gentiles, we are, and we've been amazed, we've been blessed, we've been grafted into the family of God. Uh, but uh, God is not done with the nation Israel. Uh, a verse that lays that out very clearly is in Romans chapter 11. Take a look at this on your screens. Let me hear you read this out loud. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Pause. A mystery is what? Something that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament, right? Uh, second time Paul uses that word. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Read with me. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Blindness in part has happened to the nation Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so then all Israel will be saved. Let's pause there a second. Here's what Paul is saying. Blindness has happened in part to the nation Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. There's a day coming when all the Gentiles get saved, that God wants Gentiles to get saved, and he says, now the fullness has come in. And he's going to then rapture the Gentiles and pour out his grace again on the Jews. And then all Israel will be saved as it is written. Next slide. The deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away the ungodliness of Jacob. For this is my what? My covenant with them. This is the promise that I made to them and I never break my promises. What covenant? Well, the Abrahamic covenant that you will always be a nation before me. What prophecies? Well, the prophecies of Daniel. You know something really radical. In the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel was a prophet in Israel. Daniel prophesied an amazing prophecy. He said to the nation Israel, there's going to be 490 years from this point when something happens, there will be 490 years until the Messiah comes and sets up his kingdom on the earth. The millennial reign, right? There will be 490 years that Israel has to minister for 490 years. And when Israel finishes that 490 years of ministry, the Messiah will come and set up his reign on the planet earth. That's what all the disciples were waiting for, right? Jesus, will you now set up your kingdom? They were waiting. They knew that 490-year period was almost coming to an end. Are you now going to set up your kingdom? And here's what happened. 483 of those years were fulfilled to the date on the day that Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday on a donkey. That was the 483rd year completed to the very date. There's a book, The Coming Prince, by Sir Robert Anderson, where he does all the math on all this and shows you the prophecies. He was knighted for his work. It was the, it was the very day that Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday. And what happened on the day Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday? What did Jesus do? What did he do? He wept. Why did he weep? Because Israel did not receive him as their, as their king. And he wept. 
And he said, O Israel, how I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers the chicks under her wings, but you were not willing and that you didn't recognize this your day of your visitation. Now I tell you, you are going to be left desolate. And the very next day, he cursed the fig tree, a picture of Israel being cut off and the grafted in the wild branches, the church, and now it became the church age. Now, 490 years for Israel until Jesus sets up his, until the, excuse me, until the Messiah sets up the Messianic kingdom, and 483 of those years have been fulfilled. You math majors, what does that leave us? Seven years. Guess what seven years that is? The tribulation period. God raptures the church, done with the Gentiles, and now pours all of his focus back on Israel for the last seven years of ministry they have to do during the Great Tribulation period. And then the Messiah comes back. On Palm Sunday, when Jesus cursed the fig tree, that following Monday, the prophetic clock stopped and we're waiting for those last seven years of Israel's ministry to be done. Wow. Is the Bible amazing or what? Just amazing. And so what do we do with this? Uh, let's close with this. What's the application for us today? Well, we ought to take inventory of our lives. Jesus says, if you knew the thief was coming, what would you do? What would you do? You'd make sure your house was in order. And Jesus says, well, then you might want to do that. You might want to make sure your house is in order. And you say, well, how do you do that? Well, you do that by taking inventory of, of your life. Uh, let me ask you, what are you living for? Are you all about eating and marrying and going out and hooking up and going to the bars and you know, just living for your own pleasure? What are, you, what, are you, what are you here for? It's time to wake up. And we want to we start acting responsi responsi responsibly. Uh, we want to we stop sinning. You say, that's impossible, David. I can't stop sinning. Oh, I know we can't stop all sinning, but there is that one sin, right? We need to stop. You got that thing that God's been talking to you about? Why don't you stop that? Why don't you get your house in order? Why don't you act responsibly? Why don't you take inventory and start doing the right thing? Why don't you start honoring Jesus Christ with your life? Let's look at how Jesus says it. Look what he says. Verse 45. We'll close with this. I'm going to ask Kyle and the team to come up. Who then is the faithful and wise servant. Who is the wise servant? Who is the faithful servant? Whom his master made ruler over all his household. Wow. To give them their food in due season. Notice this. God wants to make you master over all his household. What are you going to do during the tribulation period? Excuse me. What are you going to do during the messianic kingdom? What are you going to do? You're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. He's going to make you a master over all of his kingdom. Do you want to know something? Not everybody gets the same rewards. Those who are faithful are going to be rewarded with much. Those who are unfaithful, not so. Uh, look what he says. Let's read again. Verse 45. It's powerful. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in season 
to serve others, to be a builder of the kingdom. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, look at this, read it with me out loud. He will make him ruler over all his goods. There will be eternal rewards. You have great purpose. This life is just a pilgrimage. It is short. It is an engagement period. And you are waiting for the bridegroom. And he has a great reward. Uh, verse 48. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming. And begins to beat his fellow servants. Begins to harm them. To eat and to drink with a drunkard. Just living for himself. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour when he is not aware of it and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says there's two groups. There's those who believe and have faith and they will have eternal rewards. There are those who don't believe, who don't have faith and they will have eternal punishment. Every single one of you, God has gifted with abilities, with talents, with different giftings, giftings that came from God. And all, every single one of us, we're deciding how we're going to use them. We can use them for good, we can use them for bad. We can use them to serve ourselves, or we can use them to serve others, to build others. We can use them for our glory, or we can use them for the glory of Jesus Christ. But know this, either way, we're going to be accountable with what we did, with what God gave us. The unbeliever says in his heart, Jesus isn't coming, rapture, ha, huh, never heard of it. And he lives merely to satisfy his own appetites. And in doing so, he steps on a lot of people in the way. He gets divorces, she gets divorces, they'll break a lot of hearts on the way, living for self. And may I just say, how rewarding is that life when you're just living for self? How rewarding is that? How rewarding is it to just, it's futile, right? There's no purpose. You know, oh, I want to get this, I want to get this, I want to get this. And, and then you get it, and it's like, yeah, whatever. I want something else now. It's, it's empty. It's an empty life. And Jesus says that that empty, barren life, it brings nothing but heartbreak and depression. And Jesus says, ultimately, that man's life produces eternal suffering. It produces suffering now, and it produces suffering for all eternity. But oh, there is so much purpose in life when we find, when we start, when we begin using the gifts God gave us to live for something what? Greater than ourselves. To be a builder of a son or a daughter. To be a builder of other people. To pour in and to serve. Suddenly life becomes rewarding and amazing. It, it becomes rich uh, and uh, just a big, huge difference. I hope that we would take this to heart. We would take inventory and put our house in order. Take responsibility for things. Start doing hard things. Start going into the world. Start learning Jesus' ways, learning Jesus' heart, learning Jesus' mind, and becoming a builder of Jesus' kingdom. It's a rewarding life. Jesus says it leads to abundant life, and it leads to eternal rewards for all eternity. And soon and very soon, Jesus is coming to rapture his church. And in a moment, we're going to be caught up. And then the earth is going to have this seven-year tribulation period. That is horrific. May we be ready 
so that when he comes, we are found faithful and we are reward, <coughs> rewarded accordingly to the praise and to the glory of God. Amen? You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.